Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. Thanks for downloading this episode of Being Freelance, which is supported by AXA Business Insurance. Because let's face it, running a business by yourself is hard. So hurrah for AXA making something easy. You can tailor your policy to fit your business, so you only pay for what you actually need. And they give you access to a legal and tax helpline there should you need it. Get cover for your work, your tools, your reputation. It feels better being protected, being freelance. Work hard, insure easy. Search AXA Business Insurance. And here's the grown-up bit. AXA Insurance UK PLC is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. (gasps) But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance. For motion designer, Kyle Hamrick. I was never as good at turning things down as I would recommend people should be. (laughs) It's easier said than done, for sure. I probably overworked myself more than I should have because I probably wasn't charging as much as I should have been and you know yada 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 it's all interconnected right but sort of the nature of being freelance is that you can take two projects at once if that's what happens to fall into your lap and bust your butt for a couple weeks and then ideally take it easy for a little bit. (laughs) The end lesson that people will take away from this is that I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing and never have right. Yes, yeah, so that is Kyle, who is based in Kansas City. He is known as a motion designer, freelance for many years. But here's the thing. He's actually now one of the creative directors of School of Motion, who teach motion design. And when I was looking at Kyle as a potential guest, I was actually intrigued by that thing. Like, he had this really successful freelance career, right? And then he decided to go in-house. So I really wanted to hear about what that was like making that decision and how he ended up there. Kyle's story coming up in a moment. Um, Speaking of learning things, uh, you can learn from the Being Freelance course. If you're new to freelance or you're thinking about going freelance, you're in your first year, I've put together all of the things I think it would be helpful for you to know about. Um, Getting clients, getting paid, contracts, dealing with client projects, timelines, dealing with your own head so that you don't burn out, how to look professional, uh, how to market yourself. It's all in there. It's all based on my own experience of being freelance, but also that of all the guests of the podcast. So it's different to other courses because it's all of those experiences put in there. Um, So please do take a look if it will suit you. And if you know somebody in that position, do point them in its direction. Go to beingfreelance.com and click on the word course. And remember, one of the most important things of being freelance, I think, is to realise you're not alone being freelance, not just through listening to these stories that come out on the podcast, but also by hanging out with others. So come join us in the community. Click the link at beingfreelance.com. All right, shall we crack on? Head to the States, to Kansas City, and to Motion Designer and one of the creative directors of School of Motion, Kyle Hamrick. Hey, Kyle! Hey, hey, thanks for having me. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? So I've been doing motion design, you know, making videos, uh, whatever sort of more generic term you want to use for it, for something like 16 or 17 years now. I started out working at a few different places uh, here around Kansas City. There's a lot of ad agencies and um, production companies. I worked for a couple in a row that were not particularly well managed. And so uh, (laughs) the day came when I uh, parted ways with one of them pretty uh, abruptly. But I was feeling pretty confident that I'd be able to just kind of 
figure things out. And a couple of my colleagues there at the place were basically sort of on the same uh, track and and they all followed me within, uh, I think like a month or two. We'd kind of been planning to create sort of a little collective and we ended up doing that. And a couple of the clients uh, followed us too, which was pretty <laughs> helpful. And so the four of us and soon three of us, uh, just because one of them got a, another job, ended up creating this little collective. And we did that for, I think, eight years. Although, like, we never quite mm, gelled. Like, we worked on projects together, but it really mostly was functioning more as sort of an umbrella for us to all be freelancing and sometimes work on a thing together. So after, you know, some years of that, I, I eventually realized, like, I probably just needed to be solo. I was kind of looking at the money that I was getting as Kyle versus sort of like what was coming into someone who was just coming to the company and not looking for me specifically and realized that just being myself was probably the, the better play. So I just sort of transitioned in the sense that I just started doing business under a different, uh, you know, business name. Uh, did that for a couple of years, officially solo, made quite a bit more than I had been, uh, which was nice. Um, and then June 2020, I ended up joining up with School of Motion, who I'd kind of been working with previously, just in a more sort of contractor capacity. And then I've been doing that for about two and a half years now. Still do some side work as well. <laughs> I don't think the the hustle mindset ever totally goes away. Right? <laughs> oh, good. That's nice to hear. This idea of working in a collective, because mm -hmm. you sounded a little unsure of it. Like, but if people's ears pricked up and thought, oh, how, like, how, basically, how would that, how did it work? Yeah. So honestly, I, th I think it did work well for, for a while. It just, you know, kind of got to the point where I think it had kind of run its course. So I was primarily handling post-production stuff, um, mostly graphics, because I was the only one who could do that. Graphics, motion design whatever you want to call it, animation sometimes, but people always think cartoons. So I try to avoid that term. Yeah. Um, and then my, my partners did more of the shooting and editing and producing. So there were quite a few times where we, you know, worked on projects together because it needed all those skills. But then there were times where we didn't. And personally, I was finding there was a lot of times when I kind of became the bottleneck because every project needed some of what I could do and I could only do so many of them. And if I was getting specialized projects that only needed what I could do and didn't require any of my partner's skills. Like as, as it was kind of becoming more and more of those types of projects, like I didn't really have time and it wasn't really worth my, um, my attention to be doing like just a, a, you know, a title card or something for a video that they shot. And so it was becoming, we were kind of like having to hire someone else to create these little things that would have been easy for me to do if I had the time, you know, yada, yada, yada. So, um, but I will say it was really beneficial to be able to share, you know, insurance and um, uh, some stuff like, the, you know, we bought some gear together um, that we all, you know, were able to kind of share and have access to. So it had a lot of benefits as well. It just, um, you know, I think when it got to the point that it didn't make sense anymore, we, I think we had all kind of, arrived at similar conclusions there did you all work together in the same place no um we all just worked out of our houses honestly and i still do i've i've had a home office for uh well since <laughs> that i've been using full-time since 2010 I, I was pretty prepared uh in <laughs> early 2020 you were like i've got this it's fine yeah but so how did it work when clients would approach you or yeah, like dividing up the work yeah. or how the pay would work. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, 
And a thing that we always kind of worked to figure out too, you know, to, to a degree, I think it kind of depended on what the project was as to who was the appropriate one to kind of run with it. If someone came to me and was asking about, you know, a video shoot, for example, I'd typically just hand that off um, because it's not a thing I was really dealing with. And in terms of paying ourselves, we would, um, I mean, we basically just kind of kept track of our hours and, and when a project got paid, we would pay ourselves out like that. So we were very much freelancers, uh, you know, just with sort of a, a company as a face, I feel like. I later, when I went solo, I ended up, um, I don't know, I, I know these terms are kind of different uh, in the UK, but mm -hmm. um, like we were just an LLC uh, originally. And then when I became a solo, I ended up being able to file as an S Corp, which uh, was definitely better in my situation for the amount of money I was making. And that also meant like a little more structure where I could be paying myself as a, a, effectively a salary and then kind of you know, deal with the rest of the money as I needed to. Yeah. So like looking back on it, what did you learn from that experience? I, I mean, I definitely enjoyed like, I mean, we were just a couple of friends working together. I definitely enjoyed a lot of that experience. I, I do kind of wish that we had been able to have a space together. I think that would have helped with the cohesion, although that would have been an extra expense that never seemed necessary. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to a certain extent, I, you know, I don't think there's anything that like someone did super wrong and we kicked them out or it wasn't anything like that. It just, uh, you know, after a certain amount of time, I feel like our careers were going in just slightly different enough forks that the benefits of sharing insurance and stuff were not ending up being equal to the trouble of like trying to do accounting for three different people's projects when you didn't mm. even know what the project was and you know just kind of became a little bit more administrative stuff that was a little more of a pain in the butt than it needed to be when, when you had that collective did you have like a company name a company website yes yes absolutely so we were the feral few which was a <laughs> su super cool name right um <laughs> and uh i think our twitter still exists our website is is no more um, but we had like a, a cool logo and stuff, you know. So when you went solo, were you known as Kyle or were you one of the feral few? You know, like I said, I had mostly been getting to the point where stuff that was coming in that I was working on were people who were coming to Kyle. So, and so how did people know you? Yeah, um, that's a, that's a very fair question. Um, which kind of leads into, you know, how I was getting work. Honestly, like mostly just through referrals and repeat business, but also I've been doing presentations at conferences for several years. Um, I forget when I started. I'm going to say, let's say eight years now, um, but time became kind of meaningless a few years ago, so I'm probably <laughs> wrong about that. So I've been presenting at um, conferences about After Effects, which is the motion graphics software that I specialize in. Um for quite a few years now. So, you know, I have some notoriety from that. I have a few popular YouTube tutorials and things like that. So uh, there's a little bit of traction um, on my name just from that kind of stuff. So you'd started creating your own content on YouTube? A little bit. Um, not my own so much as I, I actually was doing a few things for School of Motion uh, before I was ever on staff. Uh, and how did that, did you reach out to them and and suggest yourself 
Well, I had been, um, so what School of Motion offers are like intense courses on motion design in sort of different specialties. And a lot of those courses have teaching assistants that will critique, um, like when you're going through the work, you turn in assignments and then someone critiques them so that you can get better. And for three or four years prior to coming on staff, I was one of those teaching assistants as well. So I was, um, you know, handling critiquing assignments for a lot of these different courses that School of Motion offered and just kind of knew a few of the people that were on staff at the time. And I think, you know, through some of my conference presentations and stuff, they were like, you should probably make some content for us. And so I did. Uh, Cool. In that case, how did you go about getting on that conference stage? (laughs) Well, that was a complete accident, too, I feel like. So uh, (laughs) the end lesson that people will take away from this is that I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing and never have, right? (laughs) So I feel like the the actual origins of that story, um, I've been running an Adobe user group, like an in-person meetup for probably 11 years at this point, about all things video. So I had kind of cut my teeth on presenting as part of running those. And so I attended a couple of these conferences and I don't know how necessarily, but I kind of ended up hanging out with a lot of the other presenters and sort of people that were kind of names in my industry. And a few of them were like, you should probably be presenting at these too. And I was like, nah. And then I thought about it a little while. I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll send an email and see what happens. And then I started doing them a lot. So <laughs> uh, that, that's a good lesson. Like be more confident in yourself. And if someone says that you should be doing something, like actually think about it and don't shut it down. <laughs> so those Adobe meetups you mentioned, were those like local in-person yes, just, events? Yes, just local things. Exactly. In person. Yep. And, and we're still doing them. Are they affiliated to Adobe or was it just that you came up with you? Yeah, they are. Um, Adobe actually... Um, I'll say sponsors um, these. I don't how I don't know how many of these groups there still are around the country, especially after the last couple of years. But uh, we are like an officially, you know, recognized Adobe group. So we mostly talk about Adobe related stuff, but you know, often how you can be better in your video business or be more creative or whatever with the tools that they provide. So it sounds like you started doing that while you were still in the collective. Absolutely. Piecing it together. Yeah, that was around the same time actually that that I kind of started both of those. It goes to show, like that whole building your well reputation, I guess, and yeah. that then explains the word of mouth and all the bits start to piece together, don't they? Yeah, and I mean, none of it was intentional at the time, but definitely, you know, in retrospect, you can see all of these things as building blocks to getting to where where I am now. In amongst all that, I guess you're becoming part of a community starting communities and and meeting new ones very true so you go solo and did you make like a big announcement of like how how did you get those first clients i know word of mouth has been said but like you've decided (laughs) right i've got enough work coming my way i'm going solo was it as simple as that it was honestly i had already been working a lot with other motion designers um folks i knew folks i knew through some of these various communities that I was, you know, had become a part of. So honestly, it was just kind of, well, here's a different business entity that you can pay me through now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't really make a big announcement. Honestly, I didn't even make a new demo reel because I just kind of rolled right into it. Didn't even have time. So it just, just sort of worked itself out. And these clients were a lot of them local or could they be from anywhere? 
Some of both. Um, around the time that I was doing mostly solo stuff, I was kind of finding that I had kind of priced myself out of a lot of local work, which I was okay with because I had more national clients that were, you know, coming in just fine. Or like I said, some of those communities that I sort of had access to, a lot of it was just like even semi-private Slack groups that I'm on and stuff where several of those folks are also freelancers and they would, hey, I have a project that I can't take. Who else wants it? Or, hey, I have a project that I need extra hands on. Um, And so there were a lot of relationships just formed through that kind of organic, like helping each other out and hiring each other on things. So a lot of it was just kind of inertia from that kind of stuff. So you felt okay being able to turn projects down? Eventually. I was never as good at turning things down as I would recommend people (laughs) should be. (laughs) It's easier said than done for Mm. sure. But particularly in retrospect, that's the thing I would probably try to do more is say no more often. Though I got better at it. (laughs) Uh, Never probably quite as good as I should. How were you with the business side? Again, like in retrospect, good and bad, I was doing fine in terms of the income I was making. There are probably things that I should have turned down and like been more intentional about spending that time on my portfolio or like being more intentional about my client outreach or things like that. Because honestly, I was quite passive in most of my work, which, you know, on the one hand, it's it's nice. You could be kind of loosey-goosey and take things when you want to take things and not when you don't. But it also means that when opportunities do come up, you are more inclined to just jump on them because you feel like you have to and you have that kind of hunger. So again, it's something that I got better at definitely as I went along. But being able to be a little more intentional about things and like reach out to clients that you want to be working with specifically instead of just kind of taking whatever happens to fall in your lap is definitely a thing that if, if I were to go back into it, I would try to be a lot more intentional about now. Hmm. And did you have like a, I don't know, like a style you were known for or an, a, a niche or a niche, however you like yeah. to that you worked in? Like what was Carl known for? I think what I'm known for is getting stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tend to be a generalist. I do specialize in more technical aspects of the motion design stuff that I do, which is a little harder to explain sometimes. There's some like coding aspects and some sort of nerdy technical structural stuff that you can do. And that might be like building templates for other people to use, or it might be building a rig that you could then give to another animator so that they could do their project more easily. But I I build plenty of, uh, still actively, I I build template-y type projects for clients specifically so that they can do things quickly and at scale. That's a fairly specialized skill that not a lot of people have. So it's a good thing to kind of capitalize on. And it's kind of like a creative puzzle troubleshooting sort of thing, which I enjoy. So when you're saying you're creating templates and things, did that also mean perhaps you were tempted to create your own products? Uh. Yes, tempted. And um, my desk was and is full of all these little post-it notes of things that I think would make good products if I ever spend the time to actually get them ready. Um, (laughs) I I have a handful of things that are for sale and an ever-growing list of things that I should probably make sellable. Right. (laughs) What was your experience of creating 
the things which you did put for sale. So it's interesting. I have directly for sale, I just have a couple things that are uh, a few little sort of presets for After Effects. And like I have one of them on sale for, I think, $2 and one for free. And it's been an interesting experiment to just see, because I think I've made more on the free one from people (laughs) who choose to donate. Oh, I Um, see. Yeah. Um, And I have a handful of other things that are available. And I have some like silly t-shirts and stuff like that. But none of those are really intended to be money-making ventures so much as like, you know, a thing that I wanted to be able to provide to the community or a thing that I just thought was fun to have exist or whatever. But um, I do have a very long list of... Uh, like sellable templates and stuff. And actually, I I may be, over the holiday break, may finally be buckling down and getting those ready because, I don't know, it's silly that I haven't. Yeah, I guess it's that taking this stuff that you've created and um, realizing that somebody else might have a value for that, Um, which reminds me of, we had an illustrator called Kyle on years ago, it must be something about the name, um, who created Adobe Brushes. Yeah, Kyle Webster, um, he's extremely talented, and he does work for Adobe now. Yes. They, they, like, acquired all of his brushes, and he now works for them. Just amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good – I'll put a link in the um, in the show notes because it's a really interesting story. And, it, the, yeah, there's a similar thing there, except that you haven't put all of those uh, tools and presets for sale, but you've sat there and thought about it. What might hold you back? Is it just simply the fact that – working on a project is more interesting or going to the beach is more interesting or what yeah yeah, i mean more going to the beach yeah or it's just a matter of time and choosing to focus on doing those um and you know when i was freelancing it was you know it was honestly a matter of well someone's you know dropping several thousand dollars in my lap to do something now or i could spend the time on this thing that might make money like slowly and long term which you know you could debate about which one of those is the wiser choice, but in the moment, it's usually easier to choose the more immediate money. Speaking of which, though, so then the opportunity comes along to teach or be involved mm-hmm. in... Was School of Motion your first sort of teaching thing? Well, uh, no. So around the time that I started doing the meetup group, <laughs> I also absolutely fell into teaching locally. I was sort of doing like two-day boot camps on a couple different pieces of Adobe software. And I did do a little bit of teaching at a college here. You know, all of this, obviously, again, another sort of brick in that foundation of leading to the conference presentations and stuff, which has led to a lot of what I'm doing now in tutorials Mm -hmm. and live streaming for School of Motion and teaching courses or helping form someone else teaching courses um, I don't have any formal education training, but apparently I'm okay at talking, like telling people how to do stuff. So you've got your client work, your products, your teaching, your speaking. Is that all of them? Well, I've also been creating some projects for Adobe directly, <laughs> like some of the new features that they launched this year at one of their big conferences. I created all of the demo projects that they used to like demo those features. So, I mean, a lot of this is relationships that have been formed through some of these conferences and through other things like that and through my presentations and stuff. 
back with Carl very soon indeed. But let me remind you that this episode is also supported by the lovely people at Ipsy. IPSE is the Association for the Independent Professionals and Self-Employed, uh, based here in the UK. They represent us as solo people to the government, which I really think is worth supporting with your, your membership in itself. But there's loads of other stuff. They have a huge advice hub. They have templates for all manner of documents that you can think of. They have the perks that I've talked about a lot because I really do like them. Saving money on stuff, why would you not want to? They also put on events, including their big freelancers day and the awards that they do, as well as the week-by-week information about what is happening in the world of self-employment. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't have got my pension sorted out when I did or my life assurance and all of those things. I remember they really helped me get my head around being a business very early on. Do yourself a favour, check them out. Ipsy, I-P-S-E dot co dot UK. And thank you very much to them for supporting this episode. Right, back to Kyle we go. I introduced you as well as one of the creative directors of School of Motion. You said that you met the people, you started doing teaching type stuff. So how did you end up like working there full time though? You know, I had always kind of enjoyed working with them. I had learned a lot from doing the teaching assistant work on these courses, on critiquing other people's work. And I saw that they were looking for, uh, it was a different role, but I was sort of like, huh, I don't know. I'm just sort of curious. It was also, I mean, this was June, 2020. So things were just still kind of weird. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, And honestly, in retrospect, like freelance motion design absolutely blew up right Mm. then. then. And I probably could have made significantly more money by staying freelance because no one could shoot anything for quite a while. And so anything animated was, was doing well. But they had some other position open and it didn't feel like it was quite right for me. But I was like, oh, I'll just sort of see. Like, I mean, I was still actively working with them on some of these other things. But and so we talked and and it was like, well, that that probably isn't right for you. And I was like, yeah, I didn't think so either. But, uh, you know, now we're having a conversation and we'll kind of see what what makes sense here. And and something made sense. So how did it feel then when, you know, like when you're weighing up the f- fact of, OK, I'm going to not just say no to a few projects i'm going to start saying no to basically pretty much everything because i'm going to go and work somewhere like all this stuff that you've built up i ask because this happens to people sometimes and it must be a yeah a hard decision it was it was a very hard decision except i think there were a couple crucial things about this exact specific scenario that (laughs) that made it work um school motion is a fully remote company so like nothing about my day-to-day really needed mm. to change in that aspect. And really what they were basically hiring me to do was all the stuff that I was currently doing around the client work. Um, Cause I had already been doing live streams with other people and kind of making tutorial content and um, you know, doing, I guess sort of like building motion design communities or however you want to try to describe it. Like a lot of these things I'd already kind of been doing, so I just wouldn't need to hustle for client work anymore. And <laughs> But I would also still be, you know, getting my face out there a lot and having a much bigger audience and platform to do it with. So it seemed like a pretty mutually beneficial arrangement there. And yeah, I, I feel like it has been. You're still remote. So yeah, I can totally get how that fit, like, feels like you're... Um, but yeah. yeah, how are you finding the experience? Uh, it's, it's good. Um, 
I have definitely worked on a lot of different things here at School of Motion, which I like. And I think that's the thing that I excel at is kind of being able to, you know, I said earlier, I was a generalist and I think I, I tend to just get stuff done. And that's a thing that I've was kind of needed uh, here. It's still a relatively small company and kind of scrappy. So being able to just kind of like handle a lot of different aspects of different things and be very independent and, you know, largely handle creating my own tutorials and then just kind of hand it off at the end for someone else to do a little bit of polish, um, for example, or just kind of jump in on a variety of different things. I, I think it's been a good fit for kind of what my all over the place skill set apparently <laughs> is. <laughs> Do you feel like your experience of freelancing then has was a huge part of being successful yeah. here at yeah in my role, yeah. Interesting. All of that independence and like just knowing how to see a thing that needs to happen and just make it happen and like figure out like okay, well there's a significant amount of logistics in, involved in like actually getting that thing done. So let's stop for a second, figure out what those are. Okay, we got them. So I, I have sort of a producer brain too, because I was functioning as my own producer for like, you know, 12 years or 10 years mm. or something. But you do still uh, do freelance projects on the side sometimes, right? A bit. Yeah. Um, it's mostly been things like conference presentations and doing some of this work for Adobe. Um, but I, I, I take a handful of other projects as well when the stars align properly. Um, I will say that having a full-time salary makes it real easy to turn down something that you're like, yeah, that doesn't sound very exciting. Where, you know, in the olden days, uh, that may be something where like, yeah, it's not exciting, but it'd be, a, you know, easy and a, a nice paycheck. So why not? But it, it's real easy to just be like, yeah, that's not really for me or I'm booked. Sorry. Yeah, because do you still get like a lot of people coming to you with work? It's less now than it was, you know, a year or two ago, but it's uh, it's still enough. I, I will often refer those to my friends um, or post them on some of those groups that I'm part of because, um, you know, I'm friends with a lot of folks that are freelancers and uh, many of them would be well suited to these particular projects. I will say one thing that I always struggle with a little bit is when some random client sends me an email asking for a thing that they need. Uh, it's hard for me to not feel like I still need to solve their problem to at least some degree <laughs> um, by, say, connecting them or something. But I've definitely learned to pull back on that at least a little bit. And like the amount of effort that I can put into answering that, you know, I'll do a little bit, but that's that's probably what's appropriate most of the time. Just to rewind a bit into the time when you were freelance, <laughs> how did you find coping like with the work-life balance then? Yeah. Again, that was one of those things that I think I very much learned as I went. Um, so at the beginning, probably not great, but it was very nice being able to be flexible about things because we, we had our first child during that time and we were lucky enough to have one of our parents that could come over quite often and be with him. But I was also able to kind of take random days and you know, be a dad when those came up. But, you know, it was tricky sometimes too, because you don't always have as much flexibility as you might like. And I probably overworked myself um, more than I should have, because I probably wasn't charging as much as I should have been. And, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's all in interconnected, mm -hmm. right? So I think that's something that I got much better at. And again, 
if I were to ever go back out into the freelance world, I feel like both the lessons I had learned from that and the lessons that I've learned by being full-time again and the ease of saying no right now, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I would do better at at keeping things balanced. What did it end up looking like for you, like a work day, a work week? I mean, I will say that most of the time I was able to keep things pretty much within what I would consider normal business hours. And if I wasn't doing that, it was by choice. You know, there were plenty of times where I might spend a couple hours in an evening or over the weekend or something to kind of crunch on something if it was needed. But most of the time that also meant that I might, you know, take half of the next week and not be working. So I don't know. I suspect I probably have some workaholic tendencies as well. So I didn't necessarily mind some of those, but I also, you know, especially now that I have a little more structured schedule, it's it's still pretty flexible, but I do like that predictability and I would probably be firmer about things with clients. But again, you know, sort of the nature of being freelance is that you can take two projects at once if that's what happens to fall into your lap and bust your butt for a couple of weeks and then ideally take it easy for a little yeah. bit. If I can just ask you a little bit more about the whole conference thing or the speaking thing, because yeah. it sounds like it was important in, you know, in your reputation into where you are today and things. And you start speaking at small meetups and then there's this point where maybe you're going to start to get onto bigger stages. Like, how did you cope with, I guess, knowing what to charge if it got to the point when you were going to charge for a talk or like planning your time, like how long it takes to do a talk, um, you know, yeah. all the prep that goes before it or after it, how that might disrupt your work. Because it's not as simple as just standing on a stage for 20 minutes or however long. Yeah, it's a tremendous amount of work to prepare for those. And in terms of pricing it myself, um, that's not something that I had to do um, for better or for worse. I, I sort of got offered some positions and they had a set amount of money and I thought that was fine. I will say in a lot of those cases, it's probably something where if you're if you're looking at it in terms of, you know, well, I'm making X hundred dollars to speak at this thing, that amount of time is not going to balance out. But if you think of it more long term or like, well, I'm also going to this conference for free and I'm one of the speakers. So a lot of people are going to come up and um, you know, want to talk to you and sort of look up to you and it helps raise your profile. And then you might get invited to speak at other conferences that are bigger and pay more, which has happened and, you know, maybe ends up leading to things like what, what I'm doing now. So I'm very glad that I did that part of it, but uh, you're right that it's, it is an absolutely tremendous amount of work to prepare for those kinds of things. And some of them, you know, you might be doing three or four different presentations over the course of a couple of days, and that's a lot to prepare for. It's just a thing that you kind of build and then you talk through it. I, I guess the best way to say what I end up doing is I use After Effects, my my motion graphics software, and I almost make what I would consider like interactive PowerPoints, uh, where I can sort of make a point about something and then do it in the software and then sort of move on to the next thing. So it helps keep me on track. So building all of that takes quite a while. But yeah, I don't know. You 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 practice it and you also kind of get a knack you know, when you've done it a couple times, you have an idea of how much time you can fill. Uh, you learn to be flexible and sort of know which things you can cut uh, 
you know, in the heat of the moment, if you are going mm -hmm. long or things you can add a little bit, if you are running up a little bit short because you were super anxious and you talked too fast, which definitely <laughs> never happens. <laughs> it's absolutely terrifying doing that stuff, by the way. It never stops being scary. You just sort of learn how to deal with that. Brilliant. Now, Kyle, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you mm -hmm. have for me? All right. So these are all award-related. I have worked on projects with People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. <laughs> yeah. I have worked on projects with two Oscar winners. Yeah. And I have worked on projects with three Grammy winners. So... Who's, who was the sexiest man alive? What Maybe I can guess. What year was it? Uh, I think 2021. Oh, not that long ago. Sexiest man alive in a pandemic. Who looked good in a mask? <laughs> uh, no, I don't really know any. This person has been sexy for a while, a while of course. Clint Eastwood. Paul Rudd. <gasps> Paul Rudd? He is sexy. Yes. Yeah. If anything, he gets better with age. So my wife seems to think. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Two Oscars. Who were the Oscar winners? You'd probably never guess these two either. So they're, they're both a little roundabout, uh, which makes this fun. Uh, one of them is actually one of my college professors who I did work on a few paid projects with. Um, uh, his name is Kevin Wilmot, and he was one of the writers on Black Klansman that uh, won the writing Oscar, um, you know, probably four or five years ago. Now. Okay. This is suddenly sounding um, very true. Yeah, go on. Who's yeah. the other one? <laughs> um, the other one uh, would be a documentary that I once worked on that was narrated by Morgan Freeman. <gasps> Not the one with the penguins. No. Okay. <laughs> and three Grammy people. The thing is, they give Grammys out for all manner of things. So, I again, know, this could be really, really weird and, stuff. But go on. And, and a lot of... A lot of motion designers or, you know, folks who do visual effects, compositing, which this stuff all overlaps. I mean, you need a lot of that for, for music videos mm. um, and, and lyric videos are kind of a thing now. So I was uh, part of the team that worked on a Taylor Swift video. And through that, I ended up doing things with a couple other artists that, uh, you know, uh, some, some of them turned out to later be good. <laughs> Always seen and not necessarily won the Grammys at the time. Right, right. right. Much much like the other ones, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so there was yeah. Paul Rudd. I kind of believed that one. I don't know why, though. Was it just the fact that it's Paul Rudd and I I, I like Paul Rudd? He just seems like such a nice guy. He's so likable. You you want to believe anything associated yeah. with him. Yeah. Right? Oscars as well. I love the fact that it was your professor. Now, that could have been an absolute lie. Yeah, that's almost mean if you've made that up. That feels true. I, so if anything, I'm going to say that the Grammys is the lie, even though motion graphics is so tied to music. But I really believe the other two, and I don't know why. So I'm going to say the Gra Grammys is a lie. In fact, no, I'm saying it even more because you only said Taylor <laughs> Swift's name. If there were two, I reckon you can't even think of two more people who have won Grammys. I I honestly can't. I don't. I don't follow them at all. I have no idea. I'm terrible. Like Taylor Swift. She's in the news this week. Yeah. <laughs> and she's probably won something. Uh, she's definitely won something. 
I very nearly believed it, but it was the fact that you came up with names for the others and not them. I was I was too specific <laughs> on the Oscar one. Yeah. Uh, well, well done. Thank you. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Mm. So this is advice for me and, of course, for anyone who's listening. Um, be more confident in your work and what it's worth and make time for yourself. And obviously the first one helps enable the second. In what way do you mean make time for yourself? Um, don't overwork yourself. Remember that ultimately uh, all of this work you're doing is really just so that you can like, be happy and, I don't know, take vacations or enjoy time with your friends or whatever it is that you, you know, feel like you're living life to do, right? So uh, remember to not overwork yourself to the point where you're not doing those things. Um, don't take a project right before you go on vacation or allow a project to, you know, spill over to when you're on vacation. You know, I had one time where I had offloaded a thing, but I was still like, we were on a road trip and I was literally like typing emails on my laptop from the passenger seat because it's just kind of how it worked out. Right. Like, don't, don't do that. (laughs) You just reminded me of the time I was packing an actual iMac into the boot of our family car. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you have to do what you have to do, right? But um, try to try to avoid it if you can. <laughs> do, do you actually find being a full-time employee now helps you split that better? You know, like that switching off thing. I do. You know, it, I, I have a more defined schedule. And with the exceptions of times when I choose to take on a side project, which isn't that frequent, Um you know, it's pretty easy for me to just kind of shut things off at the end of the day. And um, if I take vacation, I'm not obviously not expected to respond to things. I typically still kind of check in if I need to, because even if you're at the beach, sometimes you, you know, have an hour where you're just chilling inside and you're not doing anything. Um, you just want to make sure things aren't blowing up. But, yeah, um, you know, it, it is easier to to have those sort of boundaries. And are you really someone who has no goals, sort of like long-term thought? And it's fine to not, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, you've achieved so much. And it was, it seemed to you, I'm sure you said at one point, I had no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> it's like you'd seem to take on what <laughs> takes your fancy as it happens. Is that still the case? I mean, in retrospect, I do feel very much like I've sort of bumbled into this uh, spot that I'm in. But... I also am able to look at, um, I always feel like I worked really hard and I learned how to do the thing that I did really well. And that's, I think, a big part of what led me, you know, into all of this stuff. You know, if you ask me if I have an idea of where I'm going to be in five years, for example, I don't have a firm answer on that because I wouldn't have expected to be where I am currently. Um, So... I, I don't know from that aspect, but I know that I would like to continue creating things, probably with motion design in some form, which is only becoming more and more prevalent. So that seems like kind of a no brainer. Um, I would like to continue teaching people how to do that and getting bringing new people into using those tools and learning the creative techniques. And, you know, if I can also help people in freelance or business or whatever, you know, creative business, I guess, better way to say it. If I can help those people not make the mistakes that I made, then that's a win too. So, I mean, I feel like right now the trajectory that I'm on accomplishes a lot of that. And so I'll probably 
continue on whatever this path is. Um, the specifics might be blurry, but however much of a non-answer that is, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, it's been really great to chat to you. Uh, go to beingfreelance.com as there are for all of our guests. You'll find links so that you can find Carl online. Uh, but for now, Carl, thanks so much. Normally, I always end saying, you know, thanks very much and all the best being freelance. But thanks very much and <laughs> all the best with being the person who's being Carl and ending up where Carl ends up. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's It's been great being on here and I, I guess pretty great being myself. So I'll, <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> there we go. How nice was Kyle? I mean, terrible liar, but, <laughs> but what a lovely guy. And actually, it reminds me, um, not the first person to sort of be a freelance motion designer and then help others do the same thing. We had Hayley Akins from Motion Hatch on. Uh, so if you are a motion designer, obviously the whole point is it's the story of being freelance. Got it. But if you are into motion design, then um, yeah, do check out School of Motion. We'll put a link at beingfreelance.com and also check out Hayley's episode of Motion Hatch and what they're up to as well. Yeah, interesting. You know, I thought about the whole thing, you know, like he's built up this big reputation and, uh, you know, as Carl Hamrick as a motion designer and so on and so forth, and then he decides to go in-house. But actually, it does make more sense now. And thinking about it, he is still Carl Hamrick. He's still Carl. Like, that reputation, if anything is going to be um, made even stronger through having the platform of School of Motion and that relationship with Adobe and all of that. Like, you know, if he decides to go freelance again or decides to go on to another company, it's that personal brand, for want of a better term, that personal reputation that he's built up. That's not going anywhere. Um, reminds me of a guest that we had on once who sort of saw, they sort of flitted between freelance work and going in-house. And they just saw going in-house as like another another step, you know, like a, its own freelance project weaving their way forward. So, yeah, if you ever find yourself in that position, don't certainly don't go thinking that like if you stop being freelance, that it's the wrong thing to do. It absolutely isn't. Uh, it can be great for your career, but remember that that personal brand that you've built up is still your personal brand. It's still there, right? Anyway, listen, enough waffling. Um, <laughs> enough. I'm feeling very contemplative after this one. I'll see you in the community. Come join us. Click the link at beingfreelance.com. And I'll see you for another one of these very soon indeed. In the meantime, have a great week. Being Freelance. Being Freelance.